Hello, hello, how are you doing? Nice. It is such a pleasure to get to share with you tonight. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Trayvon Smith. I'm one of the young adult pastors on staff. Um, and as per usual, I just love to share a good self-deprecating story to start off tonight. Like, it helps me get comfortable, but it also gives you a great laugh. And if you've heard me speak, you've probably heard a ton about my mom. Like, I love my mom. She is my four foot, you can answer that, it's all good. <laughs> no, but seriously, like, I love my mom. She is a power-packed little lady that, I, I mean, she will have the hugest impact on anyone. But as I think back through life, I think one of the, the things that constantly comes to my mind is that my mom had a voice that you can make out anywhere in the room. Like, I don't know about y'all, but like growing up, my mom had one of those distinct voices that it almost got annoying because it was embarrassing that you could hear her through any crowd, over any noise. Like I remember distinctly, like in Little League football, getting hit and I laid down because I'm hurting and my mom's like, get up, baby, get up, it's gonna be okay. And it's like, please don't, just, just stop. But then I also think to an intentional moment where I was in the high school regional finals for wrestling and I'm losing one of the biggest matches that would cost me the chance to go to state. And as I'm in that match, I remember I can't see anything. It's one-on-one, -on -one. we're in the midst of this uh, battle. And I remember distinctly just hearing my mom's voice. Get up, you got it, you can do this. And I swear it did something. Like it gave me the motivation to actually work in that match and I ended up winning, but like the thing that I remember so distinctly is that I couldn't see where my mom was. I couldn't feel her physical presence, but I knew she was there. My mom had always been there, so over the time, our relationship became so close that I didn't have to see her to know when she spoke, to know exactly when I heard that voice, the heart that was behind it, and the emotions that came with it. I could understand when it was disappointed in me, when it was proud of me, when it was motivating me in so many different things. And I just, I think of the dynamic of voices. And so it makes me ponder the question, what voice is distinct in your mind? What voice can you hear over any other and make out and know who it is? you can make out the intentions behind that voice and know that they are for you. And so tonight we're gonna continue on in our series and it's actually gonna wrap up and it's Rhythms That Shape Us. And in the next couple of minutes, I want to just unravel how scripture leads us to see how we respond to God. That if we can understand and make out his voice, that we can understand the encounters we've had with them and appropriately respond. So in this series, we've discussed knowing God, God's creation, his desire to have a relationship with us, praying, and so much more. But then I think of how we ended last week of pray. And the last thing was ask and yield. We're, we're waiting for a response from God. And it led me to think, what would we do if we actually did hear his voice? What would we do if God actually did speak to us and reveal something to us? How would we respond? 
And so tonight's message is gonna be the rhythm of response. The rhythm of response. So the text we're gonna go in today is Acts 9, uh, verse one through 22. But to lead into it, you have to understand the character that is in this text. And so it's gonna be Saul's conversion. And if you've read through Acts or you've been familiar with the church, you'd see that Saul is who eventually becomes Paul, who has this massive ministry to the point where he spreads the gospel all throughout the nations. He wrote majority of the New Testament. And yet the person we read about here is the complete opposite of who he became. In this passage, we get to see the transformation of a man who was a Jew amongst Jews. It says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He actually got to study underneath a guy named Gamaliel who was like a highly regarded um, Pharisee rabbi. And so he was well-educated in the law. He knew the word, at least in his own interpretation. Saul was so driven in his belief of the law that he sought to persecute those of the way. And at that point, they'd say the way was simply those that followed Jesus Christ, those that followed him in, in conflict with the law. And so Saul was there at the stoning of one of the disciples, Stephen. And some even give him credit for ordering this. And so the reason I'm giving this to you is because it, it is so important to know the context of the man that's going into this. He is not a nice guy. This is someone who is killing Christians because he thinks he is right for it. And so if you'll go to Acts 9, verse 1 through 22, and I'll give you a minute to get there. I'm going to read through it. So it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I just think it's crazy that he asked to go do this. He wasn't demanded, no one forced his hand, he went and asked to do this. Then it continues on, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In his response, he just simply says, who are you, Lord? And it's to be noted, he's not saying this in the way that many of us would say Lord as in Savior. He's saying this more in, as a term of endearment, like we would say, sir. Like, why, who are you, sir? And it says, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. It says the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. That's a long time to go without food. Like, I was, I was a college wrestler. I went a couple days, like three days is a long time to go without food. But then it continues on. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called, him, called to him in a vision. Ananias says, yes, Lord. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street 
and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And then I love this response because it is the most real response that I feel like someone can get. He was like, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias knows who the Lord is. And I love that he almost seemingly takes a pause to be like, hey, like, God, I know you know all things, but have you, have you checked your, your facts on who this guy is? Like, he's coming to kill people of the way. And I don't know if you remember, but I'm kind of following the way. Like, he, he's letting them know, like, this dude might kill me. Yet all the more, the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then it says, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. It continues on saying, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, yet at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on, on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I love this story because there's so much in it. We see a man who is completely against God and in a matter of one encounter, he changes his entire life. Because we have God's word, we get to see that he goes on to do an incredible ministry, but if we're not careful, we can miss what's pointed out in this story. And so the first point I wanna bring out is this. We have to know God's voice to hear God's voice. We have to know God's voice to hear God's voice. God wants to know us intimately. We talked about, in that, talked about this in our series. Therefore, we must learn to hear his voice. Yet knowing God has many complexities that knowing another person doesn't necessarily have. It's easy to get to know the person next to you in some forms of the word. They're physically there. You can see them. You can touch them to know their presence. You can speak to them and audibly, in the moment, hear their response. And yet, when we spend time with God, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking, I don't see anyone here. I don't hear anything, and I don't see anything. Am I in a room alone? And it can begin to, to feel like God is not speaking. So how do we know God's voice? How do we know that he is still speaking? We look at the accounts of God speaking. We turn to his word where there are so many. Just to name a few, we see God speak through a burning bush to Moses. 
we see him speak through a dream as he revealed the stairway to heaven to Jacob. He speaks to Jonah the prophet, and kids learn about this all the time with Jonah in the well. We see God use an angel to speak to Mary and tell her she's gonna have a virgin birth. And eventually we see Jesus come out of that. We even get to see God speaking through a donkey when in Numbers, Balaam was, ang he has angered God. And as he's on this journey, it says that like he is riding on this donkey and it just stops. And he is so frustrated, he starts to kick it. And then he gets off of it. He's still just frustrated, gets back on, and then it sits down on him. And he's just beating this thing. And it says, eventually, like, there was an angel in front of this, this donkey. Yet Balaam was so busy in the midst of this, he couldn't see it. And God actually spoke through the donkey. Imagine your pet turning around and being like, hey, like, you beating me and you can't see. God is trying to talk to you. Like, turn your frustration off me. Put it on him. And so we can go on and on, but it's important to know God's word shows the accounts of him speaking through dreams, visions, angels, prophets, and even a donkey. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, In the past, God spoke to ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And so I think it's important to see the different ways that he speaks to us now. God spoke then and he is speaking now through his word. It says his word is living. The Bible will transform your life. If you read it with intent, it will interact in your life. It will point out some things whether you like it or not. He, sp he speaks through his people. God will speak through people. And sometimes that used to make me hesitant. And then I realized it won't always be so much of them telling you, hey, God told me that this is what you're gonna do. As much as it might come off more of, have you ever considered what God is revealing to you in this? Have you ever thought about how God may use this? He's gonna speak to, through his people to reveal different things to you. But then also his spirit. We see his words say that the Holy Spirit will be brought down to us to be an advocate for us. And so there will be conviction of the spirit. There will be this internal battle in which we are like, why, am I, why do I feel bad about this? Why am I directed in this way? And we will see the intertwining. And all of these can be checked in that they have to align with one another. If they are his people, they will speak from the authority of his word. So don't just take the account of, of someone who says, hey, this is what God said. If they can't, really show any fruit of being aligned with God's word. I also think of this, the spirit will guide you in what should be revealed in the word. They have to align. God's word won't contradict his voice. They, will, they have to go together. And so for me, I just think of this. It takes time and effort to know something, to know someone. To learn a skill, it takes thousands of hours to master it before you can actually get it down. Like, I love that we have some phenomenal musicians up there because it took so much time to fine tune that skill. I remember COVID, I tried to learn how to play guitar and it did not go well because I did not dedicate the hours. I'd spend a few and I'm like, all right, I can get this. 
And then as I got away from it, I learned that those skills would go away. I couldn't remember how to do it. And so I think about this, to know a person takes intentionality and time. The friendships that you have built, the relationships that you have, weren't just formed because you showed up every now and then and you're like, oh, I'll kinda talk to you a little bit. Like at some point, there was a deeper step of I'm gonna get to know you. I'm gonna learn the things that, that you like to do, the way that you speak, the way that you're guiding, and it builds a relationship. And so to, to know a person takes time, we have to practice the rhythms that we mentioned in this series, because they are very practical ways to get to know God, to build a relationship with him, to study his character, to communicate through prayer, and to yield to hear his voice. We have to sit in his presence and spend time. We have to take the time to actually dive into God's word to know his voice, to know what he's revealing. You can't make out the voice of the person you don't spend time with or speak to. But also you gotta let them speak. To know God is to know how he speaks. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If we know God's voice, then we can recognize when he speaks and know when we are having an encounter with him. Just like when my mom would speak in the midst of chaos at a tournament or on a field, I could make out exactly who it is because I knew that voice. I had spent time around that voice. And so that'll lead me into my second point, and that's this. We have to know when we have encountered God. We have to know when we have encountered God. An encounter is described by Oxford Dictionary as an unexpected experience to be faced with. And so as I go back through this Acts passage, I think of this, how is it that Paul, who knows scripture, it, how is he led to persecute Christians? How is he so passionate and set that he believes that, hey, I've read the, God's word, and I believe that I'm supposed to persecute these people. I believe this is my mission. He goes all in. Acts 22 says, Paul is addressing Pharisees and at one point he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are. He's saying, I had passion for this. And my question is, if out of this encounter we see that he wasn't led by God, clearly he wasn't doing what God directed him to, then what was leading him to this? How was he so passionate for what he thought he was doing for God and yet so misguided? There have been many times in my life where I can just think of myself having an encounter in which internally I'm led of, why am I doing this? Where am I going? What is the purpose? How do I feel about this? Is this right? And we all have these internal thoughts and battles. And part of the difficulty for me navigating these encounters is what goes on in my head in this, this thought. Oftentimes, I can't tell who's speaking. Is it me? Is it God? Or is it the enemy? I always have these competing voices going on. 
And so God's word says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You will have an encounter with the enemy. And he will try to deceive you in the same way that he did Adam and Eve in the very beginning. We see Jesus even encounter the enemy in the desert. But what I love about that encounter is that it, it doubles down on the fact that we have to know God's word to know what's going on. Because he could combat everything that the enemy said simply by quoting back scripture. It didn't align. At one point he said, turn the stone to bread. And Jesus simply responded with, man shall not live on bread alone. The enemy says, worship me. I will give you authority and all, all sorts of riches. Jesus says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Throw yourself off the cliff. Angels will save you. And yet Jesus said to him, it says not to put the Lord your God to the test. His voice will not contradict his word. The enemy will tell you all sorts of lies. You're not good enough. You don't have any value. You can't do this. But then on the opposite end, he will also allow you to think that you got it all together. You don't need God. You don't need these rules. The enemy has a powerful voice if you let him. But I think of this. If we're being honest, we can't attribute everything to the enemy. There is a selfishness and a, a pride and desire within us that oftentimes it leads us in our own way. Like if we're being honest, there was a lot of times that I, I stumbled in sin and I said, the devil made me do it. I was tempted. And if I'm being honest, the reality is I didn't feel that way until I got caught in the midst of my sin, until I dealt with the consequences. I wanted to enjoy what was going on. And I think we have to accept that reality. But on the other hand, I also found myself of anytime I really wanted something, like if I was really dead set on something, somehow I'd allow my voice to sound a lot like God's voice in my head. And suddenly it became this, I really wanna do this, I really want this. And then suddenly the verbiage became, well, God's telling me to do this. God's guiding me towards this. Like, have you ever had just a statement that started with, God told me blank? Like, I think about this. As a lot of young adults, I've heard this one a couple of times. Sorry if I'm picking on you, but like, God told me I'm going to marry her. You got about 10 red flags in front of you. They don't love the Lord. None of that. And you're like, God told me. And then everything in that contradicts it. Even the, the going of time is like, mm, God didn't tell you that. You told yourself that. Many of us have rushed into jobs or different opportunities because we wanted it so bad. And we put the label, God told me that this was for me. And then we're so confused when we get to the moment and it's like, what's missing? James 1, 13 through 15 says this. No one undergoing a trial should say I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. 
that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And so even God's word hints at the fact that we have our own desire within us that is a conflict too. And so it leads me to this. If you don't know God's voice, you won't be able to tell who is speaking, what voice is leading you, or who you've even encountered. Sometimes we have to take an actual pause and just ask the question, who does this sound like? Like in the voices in your head, you have to take a pause and just, who does this sound like? Does it sound like God? Does it align with his word? Does it align with his character? Does it sound like me? Does it sound like what I wanna do? Does it sound like the enemy? Of this is something I don't need to be doing. This doesn't make sense. It's not of me, and yet I'm being guided in this. If we know what voice is speaking, then we can fight the temptation to be led by self or others. You see, all three voices speak, God, self, and enemy, but not all three have authority. We have to recognize when God is speaking, it changes the weight of the conversation. Knowing God is knowing the authority he carries over all things. Like I can't help but think of the moment in uh, the gospels where the disciples and Jesus are on this boat and this wild storm is going on and Jesus is just sitting at the bottom, just sleeping, chilling, no worries at all. And the disciples are just freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. The wind's blowing, it's crashing. They're freaking out to the point where they go to him, master, master, and they wake him up. And the way the story accounts of just how chill he was in this makes me think he just walked up and just, peace. And it says everything stopped. And they were left in amazement and they said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves are in control? They are under his authority. In the same way, when God speaks, there's authority with it. You have to know and trust that there is a higher power in that. And so it brings me back to this. Acts 9, verse 4 through 9, because I know it's been a while since I read it, just to go back to it. It says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus and for three days he was blind, and did not eat or drink anything. I just think of this, what was going through Paul's mind when he heard the voice say, I am Jesus? Because there, there had to be something for him to pause and say, just who are you? Because I feel like I would've got scared the minute I just heard someone say, hey, Trayvon, I'm like, what's going on? But his first response is, who are you? But then in that, after he hears this voice, what changes? Is there fear? Is there confusion? Is there repentance? All we know is that for three days, he sat there praying and fasting. 
there was a lot of time to reflect on the encounter that he had just had. When he asked, who are you? I have to imagine the clarity of it being Jesus changed quite a few things in the perspective of what was going on. I don't know about you, but when I felt the Lord speak into my life, I knew I had to make a change. When truth is revealed in front of you, you can't help but have to respond to it. Think of this, it matters who is speaking. This is a young adult ministry, so I'm assuming most of y'all got jobs. If you don't, you're probably working on it or got some situation, but most of us have had a job in some sorts. And I just think of this, Imagine you're just sitting there with a busy load and one of your coworkers just comes up like, hey, I need you to drop everything and do this. First thing you're probably gonna be, I don't know about you, but I'm like, who do you think you are? Like, I have my own things. I have a job that I have to get done. And it's like the response you would give would not be immediate. There's no authority from the person who has the same job title as you, that has the same position as you. You're not as inclined to respond to it. But then I think of this. The next person that walks in is your boss. And they say the exact same thing. Hey, I need you to drop everything and do this. Your response is totally different. Why? Because that person has authority. You trust the fact that because they are over you, they are over all those things that fall to your your lap and so much more you can trust that what they're guiding you towards is gonna be good, that you're not gonna be punished for it, that something will happen. And so when we have clarity of who is speaking and the authority of that voice, we have to respond to it. And so my third point is this, we have to respond to what is revealed in the encounter. If we go back to Verse 10, it says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God. Paul has this voice of God speak to him and there is clarity of who was speaking. It says very clearly that Jesus was the one that was speaking to him. And then we see that he had a choice to accept this. Am I gonna follow the direction of what I'm being led to 
or will I just keep doing what I'm doing? I've had this powerful encounter, yet I still have a choice of how I'll respond. I love that God used Ananias to reveal the will of God. Ananias had to respond to his own encounter with God. Ananias had known about what took place with Stephen. He knew what Paul had done. He had fear in himself. There was some sense of danger even in his encounter. Yet we see Ananias walk in obedience all the more. He goes and still does what he's told to by the Lord. But then we also see Paul was told he would suffer and yet he gets up and gets baptized. He goes immediately into a lifetime of ministry. Verse 20 says, at once he began preaching. And so a question for you is, if you were told God's will is for you to suffer for his glory and receive the promise of heaven, how would you respond? If you were told you're gonna suffer, that is my call for you, what would you do? Of all the things that we've talked about of God's glory and the gift that he gives of salvation, is the suffering worth it? Even if you aren't called to suffer, how are you respond when the Lord's voice goes against your desires? If he told you something that you didn't like, that you didn't love, John 14, 15 says this. Jesus says, if you love me, then keep my commands. If you love me, keep my commands. Does your response to God look like love of God? Do you love him? Or do you love him so long as it sounds good, that it's comforting? You see, we are called to obedience. That's our rhythm of response. That's what we must take on. Many of us are submitted to this thought that it's comfortable and uplifting. Many of us would easily say yes to the call that God is placing on our lives if we were told it's gonna to be a six-figure job, that we're gonna marry the smoke show, that we're gonna gain fame and fortune from proclaiming his word. But what if he called you to sell everything like the rich young ruler and live a lowly life? What if he called you to leave your friends and family to go and spread his word? What if he called you to be like Ananias and actually have to go and interact with your enemy, to actually love them in a very intentional way? You see, obedience is doing what God told you to do, not what you wanna do for God. Which voice are you listening to? Because only one is obedience. How do you respond to God? Do you run and say no? Do you tell yourself the lie that this is for God? Or do you actually do what he told you to do? I love this story with Paul because we get to see it played out through the rest of the New Testament. We get to see his faithfulness in the journey that he goes on. In Acts 16, it actually mentions how Paul has preached all over at this point. 
he goes on into life of ministry and he actually has a destination that he wants to go to. And it says the spirit halted him. He had an encounter with the spirit, even after this initial encounter, and it told him, you're not to go here. And then it says in the night, he got a vision that he was supposed to go to Macedonia. And after that, he acted in obedience and he went there. He didn't get to go where he wanted to go. He didn't get to follow the way that he thought was gonna be the most glorifying. And what we actually see is out of this, it's the most amazing thing. Paul had the intention of preaching to the same pocket in which he had already been to, revisiting churches he had been to. And actually going to Macedonia, he got to double the coverage of the gospel. He got to spread the gospel to Europe and actually see so many more come to Christ. And I think of this, our obedience to God is about his glory, his mission, his will. In our submission to God, we will do things we can never imagine or think of in our own strength. But I also love that this points out, it's a journey. It's continuous acts of obedience. I think many of us think that it's gonna be one encounter, we're gonna have to change one thing and we're good. And it's a lifetime of dying to self. It's a lifetime of taking one step and then being guided to, what is my next step of obedience? What are you guiding me towards? Because if we're not careful, we could take one step of obedience and then take three the other way. We have to be mindful that it is a journey, one step after the other. Paul lived a life of suffering and said all the more, blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may comfort those who are afflicted with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. That's 2 Corinthians 1, verse three through seven. And what stands out to me is he saw the opportunity to suffer like Christ was to become like Christ. It was an opportunity to grow in that faithfulness. He understood that that suffering was a sign of him becoming like that of Christ he understood it was the key to salvation. It was that. And so our obedience may not bring comfort, but the promise is that this walk with Christ will bring eternal comfort we all long for. The ultimate promise is that we will gain salvation and be with him in heaven. And so I ask you, is your response just that of gratification to the right now, to what's gonna end? Or is it ultimately so that you can gain the prize of eternity? So we must know how God speaks so that we can identify his voice in the chaos of all the encounters so that we can be led to respond in obedience. So what do we do with this? The first thing I would ask is what voice are you being led by? Is it yours? Is it the enemy or is it God? Who is the dominating voice in which you make your decisions in life? My second question is this. If God spoke to you, would you be able to recognize his voice? 
If you had an encounter and it wasn't the supernatural, audible voice of God, if he was leading you in your life, would you even be able to recognize it? Or is there still a space in which you have to intently go and get to know this God that you follow? Get in his word and actually see his character, how he speaks, how he's gonna interact with you and be able to attune to the voice of God. And then finally, it's just a simple question. Have you responded to following God? Out of this entire series, it builds up to this. All of those lead to how you're gonna encounter God. But if he knocked at your heart right now, would you answer? If he has knocked at your heart, Have you followed? Are you still waiting? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I just ask that you would be with us as we ponder these questions. Would you guide our hearts to truly be able to discern who you are? Would you allow us to to truly dive into your word, your people, and be led by your spirit to see how are you active in our lives? How are you active around us? And out of that, would your will be revealed to us? And Lord, the most humbling thing is this. Would you allow us to be guided to submission to your will? Can we truly say that as you have revealed it to us, we love you. And because we love you, we follow your commands. Not out of the comfort of the gifts and glory that you give us, but out of the submission to your will, knowing that it's not just about us. It's all about you. We thank you. We love you. Amen.